Hey, uh, new year, starting new things. And uh, I know people, uh, this is the time when people take out their, uh, what, membership to a gym that lasts for about three weeks and then it's gone and, and different things. But we all get to that place that we want to we do something new and different. And uh, you mentioned, uh, Jeff mentioned 2016 gone, just the political ads. I am so glad we are past that part. Amen. Are you okay with that? Uh, I am. Uh, we got somebody in there. If you don't like him, you know, get over it. If you do, good. Uh, I mean, but he's there for four years, so good. But pray for our leaders, and just as we prayed for Jeff and pray for uh, Mr. Trump, and uh, we can always pray that he gets saved. If he isn't already, I don't know. Uh, some of the things he tweets makes me wonder, but, you know, it's okay. Uh, we'll pray for him. But new things that we, we want to do. And as I, I thought about this, uh, even this morning as I was uh, praying and thinking about my message, I, I look at Twitter. And a number of years ago, a good friend of mine said, Hackett, just tweet one tweet a day. And I do that, uh, just to stay in touch with students and so forth. And I, I try to tweet something encouraging and something thoughtful, not like, you know, I'm cooking dinner now or something like that, but something a little bit more wise and, and so forth. But I also look at the friends that I have on Twitter and what they said. And one of the people I listened to, you might have heard of him before or read his book or, or met him at some point, Mark Batterson, who pastors a church in Washington, D.C., and he's written a number of books, The Circle, Circle Church and The Circle uh, and so forth. He has written those sort of things. But he tweeted today, and it just made me think about my message. He tweeted, uh, this is my scripture passage for the year. And his was 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verses 24 to 27. And as I thought about that, I thought about what the Lord laid on my heart to speak here today. It comes out of Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 1. And it's a couple of verses in there. It's a prayer that Paul prays for the church at Philippi. But it's, since it's in scripture, it's a prayer that we can pray as well. I, I think when, when I read prayers in the Bible, those are guidelines for how I can pray or maybe even prayers that I can pray. What's interesting about Paul's letters in the New Testament, he's written just about half the New Testament. He always kind of begins with a thanksgiving for the people that he's writing to. He thanks them for their love and their encouragement and so forth. He thanks the church at Philippi in verses uh, three through eight for their friendship, for their support of him. He's writing from prison as he does this. They've actually sent one of their members, Aphroditus, to come and care for him. And it ends up that Aphroditus gets sick and Paul ends up caring for him and so forth. But they had that sort of special bond and relationship. In fact, some scholars say that it's more of a letter of friendship of one friend to another because of the way that it's written and kind of the uniqueness of it. But he thanks them for their love and support. And then in verse 9, uh, 10 and 11, he actually has a prayer. And, and again, typical of his letters, after he gets done, th done the thanksgiving part of the introduction in his letters, he then prays for what he feels that particular church needs. And as I, I, I look at these verses, verses 9 through 11, and I, I think they'll put it on the board at some point, uh, as we look at those verses, you can say, well, that's something that we can all need. In fact, Paul or, or, or Jeff kind of mentioned something along this line, even as we we're here, that we would just understand God's love and that it would grow in our life this year. But let, let me read these verses to you. And it says, this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Let me just stop there. That your love may abound. I mean, that's good right there. 
if you're sitting with your spouse or your family members, you know, there, maybe you got a nudge at that point and said, yeah, I wish your love would abound more and more. Uh, but it's something that I think we all want, that our love may abound more and more. But then it's interesting because he says, in knowledge and in depth of insight. Uh, and then he says this, he says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. And I think, what a great prayer. I want God's love to abound in me more and more in, in knowledge, in depth of insight, so I may be able to discern what is best, what is best, and may be pure and blameless on the day of Christ. Right? And, and then I want to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Not my own righteousness because it's not good at all, but with his righteousness and all the fruit of that, all the fruit of the spirit that would come through me to the glory and praise of God. And I thought, what a great prayer for me and maybe even for you to pray this year. Maybe just as, as, as Mark Batterson took that passage out of 1 Corinthians 9, we could do the same thing with this. And if not, find one Find a passage or a few scriptures that just becomes your verses for this year. Maybe it would have to do with your life at school or work or, or maybe your marriage or your relationship with others. You know, who knows what it would be. Maybe it would just be verses that would help you through the times that you're going through. But what a great thought to just to carry some verses that are, these are the verses that I'm going to pray every day that would work into my life. And these are just ones, good ones to look at. I want to kind of dissect this for a moment, these particular verses, because there is some insight in here. There is some depth in here. And so he prays that our love would abound more and more. It's interesting, if you read some of Paul's other letters, he tells us that same thing. He prays that same thing. Ephesians chapter 3, he says the same thing, that we would know God's love that is beyond our understanding that sustains us and helps us through different times. And that we're constantly, there's no end to God's love. We don't get to some place where this is the end and there's no more after that. God's love is eternal forever and forever. It is there. His mercies, we're told by Jeremiah, are new every single morning. Wow. It's never gonna get stale. And he's praying and we should be praying that our, our love may abound more and more, what? In knowledge. It's interesting, this little word for knowledge, right? Nor, the normal word for knowledge is gnosis. This is the word epinosis. It's a, a little combination that they do in the Greek language where they, they take a word and they add a preposition on the front and it gives it new meaning. It's a compound word. And epi is a preposition that means on or upon. In other words, you have knowledge about something, but this is knowledge upon that that you already have. We might put it this way, that you're sitting in a class and you're, you're, maybe you're 16 years old and it's a class on driving and you're watching a film and it's telling you how to drive a car. That's one sort of knowledge. You, you pass the test, you do well, you get all the multiple choice right and, and, and you think you know how to drive. Then you get out on I-4 about five o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon, right? Uh, I mean, that's a different knowledge of driving at that particular point. You know, these people out here are out to get me. This guy in front of me is going too slow. This guy in back of me is bleeping his horn and flashing his lights. What the heck does that mean? You know, 
And this guy over here is giving me some sort of sign with his hand. What's that all about? Maybe it's one-way Jesus. I don't know. But it gets scary. But that's a different sort of knowledge in that, a knowledge that you experience. And so God wants us to have a love that would bound in the experiences that we face in life. Let my love abound in those times. No matter whether it's a good experience or a bad experience or a difficult experience, I want God's love to abound in that. I want to be transformed and changed and be like God in those situations. You know, I want to be at that place close to what Jesus did on the cross when he looks out over the cross and he's there hanging from the cross and he says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's not saying, Father, zap them. These dirty people that have hung me up here on the cross. He's saying, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the sort of love that we need to have as Christ followers, that will shine in this world and be something different. So he wants to have that sort of love in the experiences that we face that are real and alive, and that his love would abound when somebody does us wrong, when somebody does us injustice, when somebody hacks into our system, and of course they're Russian, but whatever, you know, that our love would abound in those particular times. And not only that, in depth of insight, that I would have insight and I would see things, and I would not see things just from my own perspective, my own human perspective, but I would see beyond that. I think when Jesus saw people, there was a sense that he saw through their pain that was on the surface to their heart condition. And he knew there was something more there. He saw a depth of insight into what was going on and could really comprehend it at that point. I want that depth of insight that is guided by love and grows with love. When, I, when I'm at the, at the store and, and the clerk treats me wrong, the attendant is mean to me or something like that, I don't get angry, but maybe I can have an insight into that. Maybe they've just had a bad day and I happen to be here at this time and my getting mad with them is not gonna help them. Maybe if I said a kind word and said something nice to them, they could change in that situation if I showed them love instead of anger and pain say, hey, I'm the customer. You're supposed to treat me right. But took an interest in them. I want that depth of insight that is guided by God's abounding love in us. Amen? Don't we want that? That's a change I want to see in my life. I want to get rid of the cracks in my life, the things that are broken. And I want the new things to come. I want to prepare for the future. And this is a prayer that helps me to do that. And so he says that we would have abounding love in knowledge and depth of insight, so we may be able to discern what is best. What is best? What is best in this situation? And I pray for that for our governmental leaders, that they would know what is best, not what is necessarily popular, but what is best at this particular time in our life. I want a leader that will do that. I want to be a person that would do that. This might not be the most comfortable thing to hear, but it's the best thing to do. What is best? And, and maybe pure and blameless. Interesting words that are used here. Pure and blameless. Here's another word, pure, that when you break it down, it's kind of interesting. It has two words that come together. Kind of the idea of sunlight and judging. Another way to put that is to be tested by the sun. 
I'm told back in the times of Jesus when a potter would make a bowl or a cup, it might crack at some point. And so in order to still be able to sell that cup, the potter would take some clay and rub it over the crack on the outside of the cup on the inside so you could not see the crack anymore. The problem is you're not fixing the crack in, in the cup, you're just covering it up. It, it, it's kind of like I have a, a car with rust. And so to cover the rust, we put Bondo over it. It's not stopping the rust problem. And any sort of car person is gonna say, no, that's not the right way to fix it. You need to fix that metal under there and make it right and make it strong again, or else you're gonna still have that, that cancer, that rust to continue to grow. And so a wise shopper, when they went to the potter to buy a cup or a bowl, would hold it up to the sunlight and spin it around because the sunlight would shine through that thin veneer of, of clay and reveal the crack. God wants us to be people that he can hold up the sunlight and spin around to see if there's any cracks in us. I'm at a place in my life that I don't want cracks there anymore. I know the cracks cause problems. I want to be pure and blameless before him. I know I can't do that on my own. I know I need his help, but I need to have depth of insight. You know, I need to have knowledge. I need to have wisdom. I need to be God by God's love in order to see the flaws that are in myself. We live in a world today where our values as Christ followers, our biblical values, are becoming farther and farther separated from the values of this world and from our times and from the media, right? Things are changing and our values are in conflict from that. And I don't wanna start compromising my Christian values in order to take up the values of this world to be accepted and allowed to be a part of it. I wanna know what cracks are there and what divisions are there. I need that sort of depth of insight to understand that. How do I be a Christ follower and live in this broken world that is so different from what we learn and read about in the Bible? How do I do that? God, give me your abounding love and knowledge and depth of insight so I might be able to understand and discern what is best and in the process be pure and blameless, right, for the day of Christ filled with his righteousness, not my own. Because if I'm filled with my righteousness, I become just like the world. And so that, that's, that's my prayer for this day. And for maybe this year that I want that in my life. And I, and I pray that for you as well. And as I look at that particular prayer, I think about, well, well, where does that show up? How do you do that particular thing? What does that look like? How does this come about? How do I become pure and blameless? How do I grow with God's wisdom and love? I, I, th I think it, it comes from, from taking some time in our, the hidden and the private part of our life to focus in on God and give that over to him. I read an interesting book a friend recommended to me this fall that really made me think about it. The author's name is Elizabeth Britt Cholet. The book is Anonymous, Jesus' Hidden Years and Yours. Anonymous, Jesus' Hidden Years and Yours. It's a neat little book if you want to read a book for this year. I love books that have short chapters. These chapters are anywhere from three to five pages. I just read a chapter today. Three to five pages. It took me five minutes, right? And I'm one that doesn't necessarily read a book 
from cover to cover. I like to read books a little bit at a time. Eat a little bit each day, right? And I usually have about 10, 11, 12 different books going at one time. Well, I'll just read five pages out of this or five pages out of this, and I, I do that in the morning just to, to read things. And I like to kind of take it in and really maybe take a month or so to read through a book where I really have been immersed in what's there. So I don't miss from what, and it gives me a chapter to think about in that particular book on that particular topic. And her book is set up for that particular thing. But what's interesting, she talks about the fact that uh, there are things in our life that happen to us. And they're a result of the choices that we made somewhere earlier in our life. Now think about that, right? I always kind of focused on this, that when I'm going through something difficult or trying, God's teaching me something from the future. And there's an element of truth in that. But she takes the time to say this, that maybe what you're going through are as a result of choices that you've made in the past. Well, that's certainly true as well. Choices, hopefully, that prepared me for what I'm facing right now. And she focuses in on Jesus as an example of that. You know, what do we know about Jesus' early life? I, I teach a class at Southeastern University called Jesus and the Four Gospels. And students always ask me, tell me about the first early years of Jesus before he started his public ministry. Because historians tell us Jesus started his public ministry somewhere around the age of 30. So what happened in his first 30 years? What was going on? Well, I know he was, he was born in a manger, right? I, I know he had no crib for his bed, right? He was wrapped up in swaddling clothes or cloth or whatever that is. Right. I know that when he was eight he, or eight days old, they circumcised him, ouch. And, and then I know too that they dedicated him to the temple. I know that in the first two years of his life, his, his family went to Egypt because of Herod's law of killing all uh, boys who were two years or younger. And so he was a refugee. Then I don't know anything until he's 12 years old. When his family go up to worship in Jerusalem at atonement time and they leave with a band of friends and family and they find out after a couple days he's not with them and they go back and they find him in the temple. And he says, I'm doing my father's business. And they think about that, but then we don't hear anything for the next roughly 18 years. You know, what did he do as a teenager? You know, when he got his chariot license, what went on then? Did he have many accidents? You know, what was that? Did your insurance go up? What were the things that happened during that particular time? We don't know. But then when he is, starts his public ministry, the first thing that occurs is he is baptized. And that's kind of the beginning of his public ministry. And as his baptism, we read that the Holy Spirit came down to him in the form of a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Now, wait a second. What, what has he done that the father from heaven is saying, you in whom I am well pleased? What has he done that, he's, that the father is well pleased? What has he done in the first 30 years of his life? Now, we always think of Jesus as, you know, the son of God, and we don't realize that as a baby, he didn't come out speaking the Bible. He didn't know all the Bible verses yet. He had to learn them. Luke 2.52 tells us he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. He was a human being just like us and had to go through that process of learning things. And I wonder how many times he's wondering, Dad, when, when are we going to do this thing? 
when am I going to start my ministry? And hearing from God, probably saying, not yet, son, not yet. There's a few more things you need to learn before you're ready to do ministry, before you're ready to go out and start this public ministry and then eventually go to the cross. There's some preparation that takes place in the 30 hidden years of your life that is vital for the three public years of your ministry. Wow. And and, and that's not unusual. We go to the the story in the Old Testament of Joseph who, who helps Egypt and his own family survive a famine, a seven year famine. But we realize that this did not happen right away. He got a vision when he was roughly 12 years old, but it wasn't until some 20 years later that that vision becomes reality. You know, Moses at 40 thinks he's ready to deliver his people, and he's not, you know? And he spends 40 years in the wilderness tending sheep, and then at 80 years old, some of you are ready to quit, you know? Retire. At 80 years old, God says, now is the time. Now is the time. Paul doesn't get commissioned and sent out from the church until 10 years after he's saved. You know, Esther waited some 25 years before such a time as this showed up in her life. There's those things that you do in your hidden life that prepares you. And so do we have time that we are preparing ourselves, right, for what God would have us do? What are we doing in the hidden days of our life? What are we doing in the quiet times of our life? It's important. One of the things that Jeff encouraged you this morning already is that, hey, you can go online and look at uh, how you can have a plan to read through the Bible in a year. If not, there's a hard copy out at the table for that. Have you ever read through the Bible in one year? It only takes about 20 minutes a day. Nobody's going to hold you accountable. We're not going to test you on that next year. How many of you did that? Well, you're going to hell and we don't know about you, but did you do it? Okay, you're going. You're okay, all right? We're not going to test you on that. But God is. God is. Because it's part of the preparation in the hidden time to do that. And so how do I I grow more and more in, in, in knowledge, in wisdom. How does my love abound in those things? I need to take time in the personal time of my life, in the private, in the hidden time of my life to prepare for life. Now, somewhere along the line as a Christ follower, I finally learned that. And I, I finally realized that the best time for me to do that was in the morning. My wife doesn't care what I do before she gets out of bed, right? As long as I don't wake her up, I'm safe. And, and nobody's calling me at like 5.30 in the morning. So I don't have to check my phone or see any texts or anything like that. And it's in those times that I find it's the best time to, to read through the Bible. And like I said, it only takes me about 20 minutes a day to do that, to follow some sort of plan. And then I do my other reading in that particular time. And, and then I, I go and exercise. I exercise for about 30 minutes. I eat my oatmeal, drink my coffee, take my shower, pray with my life, give her a hug, tell her I love her, and leave the house. I feel like I'm ready for the day. I feel like as I'm walking out of the house, God is saying, I am well pleased. You're ready to face the things that you're going to face this day. Now, I don't know what's going to happen during my day. Sometimes strange things come up in my role at Southeastern. 
And I am thankful that in those times, it's like the Holy Spirit reminds me, you're ready to handle this, Hackett, because you've taken the time in the private, in the hidden time, to prepare yourself for this. I've given you what you've needed because you have sought me in this. Now, I'm, I've become a morning person. It works for me. Maybe morning is not what works for you. Maybe you need to do it at 12 o'clock at night when the fireworks are going off. I don't know. But you've got to find a time to do it because it's important. Because it's in that hidden time that God is preparing us for the present. And we need that. One of my other favorite authors is, is Henry Nouwen. And here's a book that is, it's only 80 pages. It won't take you long to read. It's called The Living Reminder. Henry was a professor at Notre Dame, at Yale, and at Harvard. All right, you know, struggling, wasn't too well known. He wrote about 40 books and so forth. One of the most popular teachers. He was uh, kind of looked down by other uh, faculty because he never completed his doctorate, never finished his dissertation. And here he is one of the most favorite professors on campus and his books are selling, all right? But he, his main students were people who, that were preparing for clergy, professional ministry. And in this one book, The Living Reminder, he says this, something again that really caught my attention. He said that Jesus didn't pull away every day in the hidden and private times of the day, late at night or early in the morning, to spend time with the Father in order to charge his batteries so he could go out and do ministry. Now, that shocked me because I always thought that's what you did. You spend God, time with God to charge your, your batteries to spend time in ministry. And he said, no, Jesus spent that time with God. He pulled away to spend that quiet time with God because that was his ministry. You see, that was the great commandment. We are to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, and all of our mind, and all of our strength. And that's what Jesus did in that time. He wanted that time. Yes, it charged his batteries, but he didn't do it for that reason. That was the byproduct of what happened. And so that's how he became changed in those particular times, even as he was doing his public ministry. That growth is still going on because he took that time to do it so that he could become pure and blameless. So his love would abound in knowledge and depth of insight, and he would know what is right to do by spending time with God in those times. That's what God wants us to do as well, to have those specific times that we can do that, because that's what it's all about. So I have often taken the, that, that great commandment and said, okay, what does this look like for me? What does it mean to love God with all of my heart? the core of who I am. Well, part of that is if I really love him, I'm going to read his word and I'm going to understand what he says and I, I'm going to spend time in prayer because I want to know his heart. So I need to take time to do that if I'm really going to fulfill that great commandment. What does it mean to love him with all my soul? Well, the Greek word for soul was psyche. So that means my emotions. So do I give my emotions over to God? Do I let my emotions control me? Or do I control my emotions? So I can do things like Paul says to the Colossians in chapter 3, where he says, put off anger and malice and lustful thoughts. And he goes on and talks about, put these things off and put on instead kindness and compassion and self-control. In other words, he's saying, as a Christ follower, I have a choice that I can control my emotions 
and let Christ come out of me in positive emotions, love and compassion and kindness and forgiveness. I can put those things on. And then what does it mean to love God with all my mind? When am I taking time to read and expand my mind and know things about people and culture and life? Do I do that? You know, that's an important part, and that's why I, I have about 10 different books going at any time because I read a, a variety of subjects, and I want to keep this brain up here working and want it to be the best for God. And in the role that I am at Southeastern University, I really have no choice in that. But I ought to do that anyway just to grow in my mind. And then what does it mean to grow in my strength? Well, I think that's the tenacity and the strength to continue on the straight and narrow walk so that I will do the right things. I think that's also taking care of this temple and, and, and getting a clean bill of health from my doctor, even as old as I am. You know, I, was, I saw my doctor for my annual physical just last Friday. And he said, you're, you're doing good, but you're doing horrible things to the medical profession. You're not helping the drug companies at all, right? Because the only prescription you have costs me $1.92 a month. I don't think that's going to kill me. $1.92, right? And then he told me, he said, man, my, my medical bills are more than yours. And he said, you're not helping out the economy. I said, that's okay. I just, you know, want to live healthy and be strong and, and live long, all right? And so I want to do that particular thing but I want to take care of this temple because God has given to, to me and I want to do well with that. And so I, I look at these particular things and I think, well, what has God helped me in this particular time? He has helped me to think about, you know, I, I need to pay my bills on time and so I do that. I've learned over the years that it, it's important to not have debt, so pay off that credit card debt that Jeff talked about. And so I don't care any balance on those things. God has showed me in that time. He has given me spiritual insight and knowledge how to live right. I put away money for retirement and for savings. All my cars and, and toys are paid off. I make extra payments on my home. All that comes from God. I'm so worried about the tithe that I not only give 10%, I give 20%, Jeff. I just want to be right with God. Like I'm getting older and I know the final exam is coming soon where I'm going to stand before him. And I don't want to miss it by, you know, well, you really only gave, you know, uh, you know 9%. You only gave, you know, and God figures that out. And I figure he knows that stuff. So I want to be extra careful and give 20% just in case there's any flaws or, or any cracks. You know, and God still is taking care of me in that because we put God first in those situations. So I, I, I don't know what you're doing this year or what your plans are for this year, but I'm encouraging you to do this. Set aside private time to focus in on God. And maybe like I have done with the great commandment, look at those four areas. Look at the, the spiritual, the mental, right? The emotional, uh, even the physical, and saying, what am I doing in regards to giving those areas of my life to God because he deserves it all? And then maybe pray this prayer that we read in Philippians. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you might be able to discern what is best, what is best, and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. You want to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ? I do. I think it's important. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. 
we can do this verse. Not only pray it, we can live it out. It can come reality in, my li- in our life. And I encourage you, maybe today, maybe this week, just take this verse. As maybe, if, maybe you don't do any devotions at all. Just take this verse and pray it. Maybe just for 10 minutes. Just kind of read it over and pray it and say, Lord, what does this mean in my life? What does this look like? That Paul would, would give this, this prayer years ago. Is it a prayer for me as well? How I, I want your love to abound more and more in my life. I'm not as loving as I could be. And I know I could love a whole lot more. I want that love to abound in, in my knowledge, in my, my experience, the things that I, that, I, that I go through, in my actions and dealings with people, in actions and dealing with my family, with my work, with my neighbors, with those I come in contact with. I want to have more spiritual insight so I will know what is right to do. I need that. Because the world is throwing all sorts of things at me. I want to have good spiritual insight so I know what is right to do. What is the best thing to do? Right? I want to be filled with your righteousness. I want it to come through me. Because I know on my own it can't there. Lord, help me to do that. Would you make that your prayer? Maybe just this week. Maybe even this year. Would you do that? That's a thought. Something to think about. Father God, I thank you for this time. I thank you for this challenge. I thank you for these that are here today. Got up early, even though it was New Year's Eve last night, they're here. Lord, if this is a word for us, if you're tugging at our heart at this moment, Lord, make us think about it more than just in this moment, but throughout this day, maybe throughout this week, maybe throughout this year, maybe even throughout this life, that this prayer becomes an important, critical prayer in our life that we live out, that our, our love would abound more and more in knowledge, in spiritual insight, so we would learn to do what is best and be pure and blameless in your sight and be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes from Christ Jesus. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Have a great day, all right? We good? All right? Let's, happy New Year.